Well, hey, good morning. Uh, my name's Ryan, and uh, serve here as one of the pastors. And uh, if you're new, um, we're grateful that you're here. Want to welcome you. Would love to get to meet you uh, after the gathering this morning. Uh, but again, just really glad uh, that you're here. Uh, we've been in a series walking through the book of First Corinthians, and so if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up to First Corinthians chapter eleven. First Corinthians chapter eleven. Uh, in high school, we had this thing for the football team called Senior Dinners, and so uh, games were on Friday nights, and so our, our senior year on Thursdays, the night before the game during the season, uh, each week we would just go to one of the, the seniors on the team's house, and we would all eat a meal together, and it was supposed to be this meal that really kind of bonded us together, that uh, united us and helped kind of prepare us to lead the team the next night in the game, and uh, it was always a great meal to get to do that, but unfortunately what started happening pretty quickly is after we would eat this meal, no matter whose house we were at, uh, we would start playing video games after, usually like Madden or NCAA football on the PlayStation. I think it was still PlayStation 2 uh, at that time, and uh, unfortunately one of my friends on the team, uh, God bless him, was just not very good uh, on the sticks. And so whether he got beat by 80 points or by two or three points, no matter who he played on the team, he just could not win. And uh, unfortunately, he was pretty easy to get riled up, and uh, we were not always the nicest friends, and so we really got a lot of joy out of riling him up and getting him angry. And so uh, what all of us do would do is we would talk trash to him while he was playing, and he would just get madder and madder until eventually he would get so mad that he would just quit the game, storm out of the house, drive off, wouldn't respond to any calls or text messages, and we wouldn't see him until the next day. Uh, at school. In fact, I think my parents' wall uh, still has a hole in it where he shoved the couch into the wall when he got up to leave because he was so mad at us for trash-talking him. Uh, and so, uh, unfortunately, this meal that was supposed to unify us and was supposed to bring us together actually started to serve as a means of division, just another way we divided ourselves over from one another. And what Paul's going to tell us this morning in 1 Corinthians 11 is that this is exactly what was happening when the Corinthian church came together to take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, this meal that was meant to remind them and proclaim the gospel to them and re refresh them in their unity together as a church body, was just becoming one more way uh, that they divided over against themselves and divided from one another. And, and so Paul is going to call them and he's going to call us back to remembering the gospel at the Lord's Supper, remembering what the Lord's Supper is meant to symbolize and proclaim and do in us and through us. And so let's see this together now. If you've made it to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 17 and read down through verse 34. Starting in verse 17, the very word of God to us today it speaks to us like this. He says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the per first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, 
that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Uh, I have been sick all week, which is just terrible timing, uh, getting prepared uh, for a text like this. Just terrifying uh, to think about. Like, God, are you trying to give me a a sign here in this? Uh, But uh, first thing we see in this passage uh, Paul's talking about here is how we can deny the gospel at at the Lord's table, at the Lord's table. Supper, because Paul started chapter 11 by commending them for holding fast to the traditions that he delivered to them as uh, a church, but here he's got nothing to commend them for, no kind of compliment sandwich with a critique in the middle. No, it's just you guys are doing this all wrong. You've got it totally backwards. Uh, This is so bad. In fact, it's so bad that it would almost be better if you guys just stopped getting together as a church on Sundays because when you come together as a church, it's not for the better, it's for the worse. Now, we know from the New Testament that the central mark of the church, like one of the key things that actually makes a church a church is that we gather together. I mean, that's what the word church literally means. It means assembly, those who assemble together. The church is a body of believers who have been saved by Jesus, who've been made into a part of Jesus' body and who gather together as his body. And so what, what are the Corinthians doing that's so bad uh, that Paul would be like, hey, it, it's, it would almost be better if you guys just stopped being a church and stopped getting together on Sundays. Well, well it comes back to what they're doing at the Lord's Supper. Look at, look at how he builds this out. In verse 18, he says, when you come together, uh, you have divisions among yourselves. You're dividing over against one another. And then in verse 20, he starts to get to the heart of the issue, and he says, when you come together to eat the Lord's Supper, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Like, whatever you might want to call it, whatever you might think you're doing, you're not eating the Lord's Supper. Why? Well, because when the Corinthians come together to eat the Lord's Supper, they're denying the gospel. They're just putting the walls back up that, that Jesus tore down. Because everyone there is going ahead with his own meal. And so poorer people in the church are going hungry while rich people are getting drunk. Like, at church, at the communion table. Now, 
Uh, obviously, when we take communion today, we don't take it in the context of a whole meal. We don't eat kind of a larger meal around it. But I'm sure as we read through this text, you gathered uh, when they would take communion, it was in the context of a whole meal. Uh, it seems like basically it was like potluck style where everybody would bring what they could to share with each other and they would eat a whole meal together uh, with the elements of bread and wine for the Lord's Supper. And during that time, you didn't have a day off of work. The Roman Empire didn't give you a weekend. And so it seems like the church met on Sunday evenings after everybody got off of work for the day. And it seems like the people who were richer, wealthier in the church were able to get off a few hours early, didn't have to work the whole day. And so they would gather together early, come to church early, bring all of their nice food and wine, uh, and start eating and drinking. And by the time the poorer people who did have to work all day got to church, uh, there was nothing left, so they were going hungry, and it was just becoming an occasion for rich people to divide themselves over against the poorer people in the church. I mean, it's literally like they're acting out a scene from a high school movie. Like, you can't sit at our table unless you're on the football team or you're a cheerleader. It's the Corinthian Mean Girls. I mean, it would, it would be like uh, if we had a partner meeting and uh, people who are wealthier here brought all this sort of gourmet food and uh, nice, good wine, and then people who maybe don't have as much who are a little bit poorer brought like a candy bar from the gas station for people to eat, and we separated everybody out, and we said, okay, you can only eat the gourmet food and sit with the gourmet people and drink the nice wine if you brought something like that. If you just brought a candy bar, sit over here in the corner with everybody else that got a, brought a candy bar. So rich people get steaks, poor people get crumbs. Now, what would we be doing if we were to do that? Well, Paul says we'd be denying the gospel. We'd be putting back up the walls that the gospel tore down because we would be saying that to belong to Jesus' kingdom, to have a seat at his table, you have to make this much money. You have to be this tall to ride this ride. We'd be saying who really matters in Jesus' kingdom and who's really valuable to Jesus is who has a lot of money and status in the world, which is no different than who the world says is really valuable and important. But look, that's a denial of the gospel because the gospel tells us there are no qualifications that we can meet to be worthy enough to have a seat at this table. The gospel tells us that rich and poor stand on level ground at the foot of the cross. And the Lord's Supper is meant to symbolize that because the Lord's Supper tells us that the reason we belong to the family of Jesus and we have a seat at this table is not because we had enough money to buy in or not because we've been good enough, but because Jesus gave up his life and poured out his blood. It's faith in that, trust in that, that qualifies you to have a seat at this table. And so if we're simply just kind of reinforcing the same social and class divisions that the world does when we come together as a church, we may be having some bread and some juice every Sunday, but we're not eating the Lord's Supper. Like whatever we want to call it, whatever we might want to say we're doing, we're not taking the Lord's Supper because the Lord's Supper is meant to deepen and proclaim and refresh us in our unity that Jesus has made us one family, one people, one body. Now, we'll, we'll talk more about what that specifically looks like and how we work against that in a little bit, but let's move next to the positive picture of the Lord's Supper that Paul gives us in this passage. The next thing he shows us is how we should declare the gospel at the Lord's Supper. Because in verse 23, 
he tells us, he reminds them uh, of what he received from Jesus, that Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, when he was having his last supper with his disciples, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given to you for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And then he did the same thing with the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Uh, This is something that Jesus ordained, something that Jesus gave us as a church to do. And look again at what he says in verse 26. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the Lord's Supper, when we take it, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. The Lord's Supper is this visible sermon that that we preach and that God preaches to us every time we take it. The, The Lord's Supper visibly symbolizes the gospel. Broken bread symbolizes that Jesus's body was torn apart so that we could be made whole and we could be put back together. His the cup symbolizes his blood which he poured out all the way to death to forgive our sins so that we might live. It symbolizes the gospel. You know, a lot of you have asked or have made a comment about how, you know, we take the Lord's Supper every week, and that's maybe distinctive from the ways you you grew up in church. And uh, one of the reasons we do that is is this, because the Lord's Supper is this visible sermon that God preaches to us. Uh, Growing up, I always heard people talk about how if we were to take the Lord's Supper every week, uh, it would lose all of its significance, and it would just become kind of a dry, ritualistic thing for us. And so we ended up taking kind of the Ron Swanson approach uh, to the Lord's Supper when he said, you know, I once worked with a guy for three years and never even learned his name. Uh, He was the best friend I ever had. We still never talk sometimes. Uh, We thought that the way to keep the Lord's Supper sacred was really just to never do it Uh, so that it wouldn't become a dry ritual. Now, it's funny to me because nobody ever said that about singing or preaching or ever questioned, like, well, we we sing and we preach every week. Won't those become ritualistic? Uh, It was always the Lord's Supper that that was going to lose all its meaning and significance if we did it more than four times a year. And look, I'm not saying that it can't become a dry ritual. Everything we do can become a dry ritual. But look, Rituals and traditions and habits are not bad in and of themselves because you and I, we're not just brains on a stick. Like we are people who are deeply formed and shaped by our habits, by what we repeatedly give ourselves to just as much as by what we think about. And so this habit of getting our heart and our eyes reminded of the gospel, getting the gospel before our eyes every week is something that God really does use to shape and form us deeper into the good news. And because, please don't miss this, like the Christian life, it's really not about just learning more facts. It's about having communion and knowing God through Jesus intimately and personally and experientially. Man, I'm so grateful for the technology and the ability that we have now to podcast sermons and listen to sermons. Like, and I, my Christian life has been so enriched by getting to listen to the uh, preaching of other faithful preachers, but, but one of the dangers with that is that we could start to think that coming to church is really just about getting the content and the information, and you can get the content and the information whether you come or not, because even if you don't come, the stream's going to be there that you can watch later in the week, and that's just not true. Like, there's something you miss if you are not here. 
barring a medical reason or some other reason why you physically cannot gather with us, you should long to be here and you should make every effort to be here. Like there's something going on here that you can't get anywhere else and that you miss if you're not here. This is one of the primary means of discipleship that Jesus has given you to grow up as one of his followers, gathering together with his body, with the church. And you can't podcast out the Lord's Supper, and I think that's intentional. I think Jesus made it that way to show us just how irreplaceable this gathering as a whole is. And so this gift, the Lord's Supper, this gift that Jesus gives us, it's not a gift to communicate new information to us. It's a gift where we have communion with him and he has communion with us that refreshes us in the good news of his death and resurrection for us. Because Jesus, he is present with us in a special way by his spirit when we take this meal together as a church. Chapter 10, we participate in the body and the blood of Christ when we take this meal together. Like this is not a meal where you learn new information, where you learn new facts. You have real communion with Jesus and Jesus strengthens your heart by faith as you hopefully see and believe the good news that the Lord's Supper is preaching to you and that's a good and necessary thing that God uses in your life. It's proclaiming these gospel realities to you. And so, because here's some of the gospel realities that the Lord's Supper is proclaiming to you. There's more than this, but I'll, I'll just highlight two. The Lord's Supper proclaims that we've been brought into a new covenant and a new family. And so first, the Lord's Supper proclaims a new covenant. Uh, when Jesus uses this language of the new covenant in my blood, he's alluding back to a promise that was made in the prophets, especially the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31, that God was going to usher in a new covenant. Under the old covenant, God's people had his law and his instruction written on tablets of stone, but they did not have it written on their hearts. They didn't have hearts that wanted to obey him, that longed to obey him, and so they continually disobeyed and broke the covenant. They were continually faithless towards God. But in Jeremiah 31, God promises that under this new covenant, he's going to bring this in, and one day, uh, God's law and instruction won't just be written on tablets of stone, it will be written on people's hearts. That people under this covenant, they'll actually know the Lord intimately and personally and experientially. They'll have new hearts that want to obey him and long to be with him. And he says, under this new covenant, all of their sins will be forgiven and God will remember their sins no more. And so when Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do you know what he's saying? He's saying through his death and resurrection, this new covenant is about to come about. That through his death and resurrection, this new covenant is being fulfilled, which means that if you have trusted in Jesus, you have been brought into this new covenant and all of your sins have been forgiven. And so look, the Lord's Supper should be a celebration. It should feel celebratory because we're preaching the gospel to ourselves. It's preaching to us and proclaiming that if you have trusted in Jesus because of Jesus' death and resurrection, that all of your sins, past sins, present sins, future sins you haven't even gotten around to committing yet have been fully, freely, and forever forgiven because of Jesus. The Lord's Supper preaches that there's nothing left that you owe, that there's no debt you have to pay to be right with God. The Lord's Supper proclaims that no matter how dark your sin might be, it's no match for Jesus' blood. 
the Lord's Supper proclaims that no matter what you have done, Jesus can drown all of your sins in his blood. It's this gift that Jesus gives us because, look, all of us slide back into thinking that God's love for us and his acceptance of us and his favor towards us is really dependent on our performance, on how well of a week we've had. And the Lord's Supper is this gracious sermon and reminder that God gives us to remind us that his favor towards us and his love for us is not dependent on our performance Instead, he so loved us that he sent his son to die for us and purchase our forgiveness and acceptance forever. It preaches to us that Jesus has now united us to himself so that all that is true of him is now true of us, that God the Father looks at us with the same love that he looks at Jesus, his son, with. It's this gracious reminder to preach the gospel again to yourself and hopefully believe, no, I really am forgiven. God really does love me. He really is for me and not against me. He's not going to quit on me. He's going to get me all the way home. It's this gracious reminder to do that because, look, like to borrow a phrase, we take the Lord's Supper not to show Jesus how serious we are about him, but to be freshly shocked at just how serious he is about us. Not to celebrate how faithful we are to him, but to celebrate that he is really this faithful to us. We do it to celebrate the gospel, that his broken body and his shed blood and his empty tomb is where we get our life from. We we do it to remind ourselves that whatever else may be going on during the week, whatever circumstances might be happening in our lives, the deepest and most true reality about us is that we are loved by Jesus. We are united to Jesus, that he is for us and not against us, that he will keep us, that he will make sure we make it all the way home. Like, I need that reminder every week, and, and I know that you do too. And so the Lord's Supper, it proclaims this new covenant, that we've been brought into this new covenant and been made right with God. But the Lord's Supper also proclaims that we've been brought into a new family. The Lord's Supper doesn't just declare something vertical about our relationship with God. It also declares something horizontal about our relationship with one another, that Jesus has torn down the dividing walls of hostility between us, and he's made us one family. He's made us into his body, into his people. The Lord's Supper is meant to proclaim that unity and refresh us in that unity because, again, it symbolizes that that what unites us as a people is not how much money we make, how much status we might have, how important our job might be. Uh, What unites us is that our sins have been paid for by Jesus' shed blood. Lord's Supper proclaims that unity and is meant to deepen us in our unity with one another. And when it's not doing that, something is going wrong And that's what Paul wants to focus on in the rest of this passage. And so so the third thing we see here is how we avoid being disciplined by God uh, at the Lord's Supper. Look again at verse 27 with me. It says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, 
we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I'll give directions when I come. And so Paul says, whoever eats and drinks in an unworthy manner is going to be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord, so we need to examine ourselves. Uh, Their failure to discern the body and examine themselves is why some of them have grown weak and ill, and, and even some of them have died. Now, what I would love to be able to do here is to be able to say, well, Paul's just being hyperbolic, like, this didn't actually happen, there's no way this would happen today, people didn't actually die, Uh, but I can't do that. Because Paul's not being hyperbolic here. I mean, we see, if we don't believe it here, we see in other places in the New Testament where God kills people as an act of judgment for sinning. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira uh, lie about a field that they had sold to the apostles, and so God kills both of them as an act of judgment on their sin. Here in 1 Corinthians, people are getting sick and dying because they're taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And and notice verse 32, it says that when this happens, God is disciplining them so that they'll be judged and disciplined so that they won't be condemned along with the world. And so what that means is while you may not perish eternally for that, God could still end your life as an act of judgment for you taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, Which, which means, like look at me, which means he's talking to and about believers here. Like, like to us, he's talking to us. Believers are the ones who will be judged and disciplined by God in this so that we wouldn't be condemned along with the world. And so, obviously, like this is a warning for us, right? If this could happen to us, if, if you could die from taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, uh, one, we need to sit with the seriousness of this warning, and two, we probably need to figure out what it means to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, Right? Well, first, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. Taking the Lord's Supper in an un... It, it does not say an unworthy person who takes the Lord's Supper. It says someone who takes it in an unworthy manner. And so the wrong response, like what it does not mean to examine yourself, is this sort of hypervigilance of, well, am I worthy enough to take the Lord's Supper? Have I done enough good things this week? Have I sinned too much? You know, in fact, I should probably just sit it out and wait until next week uh, until I've had a better week with less sin. Like, look, of course you're not worthy to take the Lord's Supper. The whole point of this is to remind us that we are sinners who needed Jesus to die for us. This is not, Lord's Supper, it's not a reward that you work your way up to for enough good behavior. It's a gift to remind you that Jesus has done the work for you already. And so don't do this whole hypervigilance of, well, I should probably wait till I've had a better week. I should probably sit it out this time. No, like that's a denial of the gospel that the Lord's Supper proclaims. You're saying it's all dependent on you and your good efforts to make you worthy of this, and that's not the case. Instead, what would actually make you take this in an unworthy manner uh, are are two categories, maybe two sets of sins, uh, you might say, and they both come back to what Paul means in verse 29 when he says, uh, failure to discern the body. So people disagree over whether Paul, when he says discerning the body, is talking about like the physical body of Jesus and so diminishing his sacrifice or uh, the church, which is also the body of Jesus. Think kind of maybe his spiritual body. And, and honestly, I think Paul's talking about both here. 
And so one, if you're walking in blatant, unrepentant sin, and, and you still come take the Lord's Supper, you're basically saying, hey, thanks for giving me a get-out-of-hell-free card, Jesus, but I'm still going to be in charge of my own life. I'm still going to enjoy and celebrate and partake of the sin that you had to choke to death on your own blood to pay for, and, and I got no plans to stop. Like, don't come take the Lord's Supper if that's your heart. Don't come take the Lord's Supper if you've got this area of blatant, unrepentant sin where you know it's wrong, and yet you're still saying, I'm not going to give this up yet. I'm going to continue enjoying this for as long as I can. And that's, that's a way to eat and drink judgment on yourself. And then two, don't come take this meal if you're in some way dividing yourself over against the church. What, what I mean by that is if in some way you're in your heart rebuilding the walls that the gospel has torn down. And so if you're harboring racism in your heart right now, you, you probably shouldn't come take this meal. If you have a disdain and a smugness towards the poor, you probably shouldn't come take this meal because you're denying the fact that you were someone who was spiritually poor and needed to be rescued by Jesus. If you're causing divisions and dividing from someone here in the church, you probably shouldn't come take this meal. If you're harboring and nursing unforgiveness and bitterness towards someone here in the church in your heart, you probably shouldn't come take this meal. If you can't be friends with somebody here who has a different political persuasion than you do, you probably shouldn't take this meal because you've elevated politics above our unity in Jesus. If you are dividing with someone and causing division with someone over an open-handed secondary issue here, you probably shouldn't come take this meal because you've made that more important than our unity in Jesus. Jesus basically in the gospel says that, that before you come and take this meal, if you have something against a brother or sister, you've sinned against a brother or sister, you should go and be reconciled with them and then come back and take this meal. Because what 1 Corinthians 12 is going to tell us is that Jesus is the head of the church and we, the church, are his body. And so St. Augustine says, saying you love Jesus while at the same time hating and despising the church would be like somebody coming to try to kiss you and at the same time stomping on your feet as hard as they could. It would be like you telling me, like, man, you're awesome, but your wife is the worst. Like, I can't stand her. Now, if you know my wife, you know it would be much more likely that somebody would come to her and would say, hey, you're really awesome. Your husband, not so much. Uh, but... You can't separate it out like that because to say something negative about her is not just to say something negative about her, it's to say something negative about me, that I made a bad choice, right? It's the same thing with Jesus and his church. You cannot say you love Jesus while at the same time hating and despising and dishonoring his church. And, and look, I am not saying that there can't be bad churches and that you can't get hurt at church. There are and you can but to completely reject the church as a whole and never commit yourself to a local church is really to say that you know better than Jesus, that you would have chosen a better bride than Jesus did, uh, that you're better than all those other sinners that Jesus chose, and that you don't actually need to be a part of the body that Jesus thinks you need to be a part of. Do you know how prideful that is? In Acts chapter 9, before Paul becomes a Christian, when he's still named Saul and he's killing Christians, Jesus confronts him on the road to Damascus. And do you know what he says to him? 
He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting my followers? He says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus has so bound himself to his church that to hate and despise his church is to hate and despise him. There's no such thing as you and Jesus apart from the church. He just doesn't roll that way. Like this idea that you can have this sort of you and Jesus spirituality disconnected from life in the local church is an idea that's just totally foreign to the New Testament. And so if you're some way dividing yourself over against people here in the church, you shouldn't come take this meal until you repent and reconcile for that. Because listen, this is a family meal for us to proclaim our unity in Jesus, but if you're living and walking in blatant and contradiction to that, you're just going to eat and drink judgment on yourself. Because Jesus really loves his church, and he is not going to sit idly by while you hate and despise and humiliate the people that he shed his blood for. And so it's a warning to us. And, and I know, like, that's, that's incredibly heavy, and, and I want it to be. Like, it, this is a real warning for us. This could happen to us, and we do need to sit with it. But I, I don't want to end on a warning, because that's not where Paul ends in this passage either. Uh, Paul's giving this warning so that we could get back to taking the Lord's Supper rightly, to receiving it as the gift that it is, and, and the gift that it's meant to deepen our unity with Jesus and deepen our unity with one another. This is why he says, hey, when you come together, wait for one another, so that when you come together, it won't be for judgment. He wants us to be able to take this and receive it rightly. And so real quickly, I want to talk about how we can receive the Lord's Supper rightly. Um, this is not original to me. I don't know who I'm borrowing this from. I've heard it from a lot of different people, but again, it's not original to me. But here are five helpful places to look uh, when we come to take the Lord's Supper. Uh, these are going to come up on the screen. You can write these down and uh, maybe just take one or two of these each week to meditate on and think about and pray through as you come to take the Lord's Supper. And remember, we're going to take this every week, and so you don't have to just try to kind of superficially get through all five of these each week. Maybe just take one a week and really meditate on it and pray about it and think about it uh, as you take the Lord's Supper. And so here's uh, what these are. Five places to look when we receive the Lord's Supper. We should look up, look within, look around, look back, and look forward. Up, within, around, back, and forward. First, look up at the love of God and the way that God has loved you. Reflect on the fact that while you were still a sinner who hated God, God did not hate you. Instead, he loved you enough to send his son to die for you. And Jesus freely came and took on our flesh and then gave up that flesh in death to forgive you and unite you to himself. Reflect on the love of the Holy Spirit who has come to indwell your heart in Romans 5. Pour out God's love in your heart so that you really would believe that you really are one of God's daughters and one of God's sons. Reflect on the way that God the Father has adopted you. God the Son has united you to himself and God the Spirit has come to live inside your heart. Reflect on how God has loved you and pursued you and won you back to himself. And then two, second, look within. Uh, look within and examine yourself. The Lord's Supper is meant to be a celebration, yes, but it's meant to be a reverent celebration. A celebration because all of our sins have been forgiven, reverent, 
because we don't want to keep sinning. We don't want to treat the grace of God as a license to just keep doing things that put Jesus on the cross. And so look within and examine yourself. Are there areas of unrepentant sin that you're walking in that you need to repent of and put to death? Is there an area where you've divided yourself from somebody in the church? Is there an area where you're causing division that you need to repent of? And if there is, repent of that and come taste God's grace fresh at the table instead of it being an occasion to drink judgment on yourself. Third, look around. Look around at the family that Jesus has placed you into and the unity that Jesus has purchased for us. Like, literally, do it right now. Like, look around. These people that you see in this room, like, these are your brothers and your sisters. This is truly and really your family who you're going to spend eternity with. And let that truth, when you come together to take the Lord's Supper here, and let it press you into deeper unity here with your brothers and sisters in the church. Let it lead to like actual tangible acts of love and care and service for people here in the church. And so you look around then, fourth, look back. Look back at the cross of Jesus, what these elements symbolize, that Jesus so loved you that he took on our flesh and humanity and gave up his body to be torn apart so that we could be made whole, who freely poured out his blood and died so that we could be forgiven and have life with him forever and rose from the dead to defeat those things in our lives forever. Reflect on the fact that Jesus has done this for you and he has purchased your forgiveness, not your good works or your religious activity. And then fifth, look forward. Uh, The Lord's Supper points forward beyond itself to another meal. Revelation 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb. The day is coming when all of us who have been saved by Jesus will feast with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth at this marriage supper of the Lamb. And then we will know Jesus not just by faith, but by sight. We will see Him and be with Him. And and everything that, that He has saved us for will be there. And so listen, let... This Lord's Supper, as you take it, stir up hope in you and anticipation in you for that meal, for the day when Jesus will return and will take you to himself and will make all things new in our lives and we will be with him forever. Let it point you forward in anticipation and hope for that meal. And so this is what we do when we come to the Lord's Supper. And so I'm going to pray for us and then let's do this. Let's receive the Lord's Supper together. God, thank you for your word. God, I do pray that we would hear um, the warning to us in this passage. And we would ask and question, are there areas where we would be guilty of taking uh, your supper in an unworthy manner? Are there areas where we're guilty of harboring bitterness and unforgiveness? Are there areas where we're guilty of causing division? Are there areas where we're walking in blatant, unrepentant sin? God, if there are, would you give time and, and give the space and, and move in people's hearts to repent this morning and taste your grace fresh at this table? God, please do so in us. Would you help us to receive your supper as the gift that it is, that it's not a reward uh, that we work up to. It's a gift that we receive. And so help us to do that. Help us to see and remember and believe your gospel at the Lord's table. Even as we come now, Jesus, thank you that um, 
We're not celebrating somebody who lived a good life and died, and that was the end of the story. We're celebrating the fact that you are alive right now, and you're present with us as we take this meal. And so, Jesus, would you do what you've promised to do and strengthen our hearts by faith as we take this meal? God, do it among us. Would you cause this supper to deepen our unity with one another, to truly make us into your body, the body that you have died to purchase. God, I I pray that the Lord's Supper would lead us to tangible acts of care and service, that it would lead us to believe that the people we see around us this morning are really and truly our family. God, do this work in us. I pray that you would in your name. Amen.